dumb fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the season podcast. two remix. Musical the movie the podcast. Twenty twenty four. Season two. There's the remix that's climbing up the charts. Steph, how are you? I'm doing just wonderfully. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I, I assumed you'd have an opening bit. Usually you have one and I have well, one and we step all over each other trying to do them. <laughs> I thought I'd get out of your way, but it seems like you Man, I, that's what I was doing. Okay, here's my opening bit. I okay. would just like to welcome Nicole to this side of the podcast. It's our that's first true. Nicole. It's our first Nicole. Not only does she play on our podcast intro stuff, but I have it programmed in our, <laughs> on, our, on, our, on my personal Plex Media Library to where whenever we watch a movie... Nicole pops up and tells us that heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> it really, uh, it really helps me set the stage whenever and we're this is the, getting into you, that cinematic space. And you're absolutely right. This is the first time we're welcoming her, welcoming her into a movie, I believe. I'm thrilled. Uh, and it's what a Nicole it is. But before we get to that stuff, there's something I, I want to bring up. Yeah. Um, something that we have been hounded to address. Um, frankly, by the by the um the Twitter, uh, sorry, the X uh, heads. <laughs> The uh, on Instagram, people are just sitting us in a snail mail telling us we got to address this. And now that it's on Disney Plus, I think we finally should. Um, and that is the uh, musical planet sequences in the Marvels. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> we did um, we just watched it because it the Marvels drop on Disney Plus. Um, and it did make me be like, maybe we need to have an episode that's like every year, what are the musical sequences? From mm-hmm. this last year that, like, are not its whole own thing, but, like, do deserve some consideration. Um, yeah. And, frankly, my, my like, top-line comment, mid. Mid. Pretty mid. Not a, not a worthwhile little rhyme or, or rhythm in there. Uh, the dancing's but, but you can fun. Tell the costume's great. The they're, concept They're not is focused fun. On, on making yeah. it, like, a fun yeah. song, you can tell. But, like, it would have taken such a little effort to just, like, make it a fun song, I feel right. like. Um, and there, and if you want a musical theater joke, there's a much better cats joke about 20 minutes later in the movie. <laughs> so there's our recommendation. Watch the Marvels, uh, on Disney plus it is, it is a good movie. You should watch it. It is a fun movie. I like it. We, and we I, saw it in yeah. theaters, of course. The I do Lincoln like Square. being pandered to, like, just to be clear, like I do oh, want well, people then, to include more musical sequences. Yeah. Well then Steph, as a child of the, uh, the aughts, boy, do I have a movie for you. <laughs> If you like being pandered to, it's called Moulin Rouge. And I'm sorry, that's actually not accurate. It's actually called Moulin Rouge. Oh yeah, you gotta get exclamation point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's one of the only you know people consider punctuation in movie titles to be bad luck. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Like Who Framed Roger Rabbit was thought of as like cursed because no one ever thinks of that movie. That movie disappeared. (laughs) Well. That's you see you're you're saying that with the hindsight of 2020, which is again <laughs> something we're going to be talking about a lot. I think on today's episode. Oh yes. Um, but so I, I guess I'll just start with a with a simple question then in regards to uh, uh, Moulin Rouge, which is do you fucks? Um, Andy, let me. Okay, so you and I think a lot of our friends on the Zoom, y- y'all didn't grow up in places with basements, right? You, you don't have like a basement uh, that is like where you would like escape to. I was an attic oh. household, but but there are other two guests. I'm getting other great, great. Yeah. Okay, so um, in the upper Midwest basement, that's like where you go to like do like the childhood fuckery. Like upstairs is the adult domain, and basement is like can just be like a little tornado of kid hit. 
And my relationship with Moulin Rouge is, like, was almost exclusively um, creating dances to Lady Marmalade in my friend's basement. Okay. (laughs) And that is just, it's just, like, the quintessential Do you remember any of those dances? Um, I remember one move, which was... Oh, wow, for the listener, she's doing it. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a, it's like a... A somersault on the floor, and then you land on your back, and your legs are up in the air, and then you split your legs open in a V. Wow. And then for the listener, she just kipped up. She just yeah. came right, sprung right from her back up to her feet. Um, <laughs> incredible stuff. Just like Drew McIntyre. Uh, well, uh, what, sorry, tell- so you'd be down there making dances. Yeah. And then, like, um, did you carry and then it later, with you? Uh, yeah. It wasn't just me. I had, like, I had friends. No, but you? did you carry? Did you carry the the love of this movie? Sort of. Did you carry? Did you watch oh, it again? Oh, did you own it on DVD? Um, no, not at all. I okay. I think that I maybe watched it through once, and then um, I did listen to a lot of the music. I don't know how voluntary that was. It was sort of just like around like that elephant love medley. I know very well because of the radio. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then. Wait, they were, wait, I'm sorry. They were playing the love medley on the radio in Wisconsin? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell oh, yeah. And I'm getting, I'm getting some nods that it was played in New Jersey as well. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, and then also in, um, in college, I studied abroad in Paris. And so I have like this whole other relationship to like Montmartre and that area of Paris. And um, I, when I was studying abroad, I took this class that I'm putting scare quotes around because afterward, my advisor, her exact words were like, yeah, we weren't really sure about that one um, because they kind of thought it was a bullshit class. But it was, it was like the history of Paris as seen through popular song. And it just like, it was like a, a tour of Paris of the history of the city um but then like were, were go... they like all right first things first you may see london and you may see france but you will not see the queen in her <laughs> underpants no but side note did you know that the queen went to moulin rouge in the 80s qe2 the movie no the 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 cabaret oh. she like shut okay. it down for a night to have a private wow. moulin rouge performance i read about when, and i see i've been uh, as, as someone who spent my 20s you know, out in bars when you said she shut it down for the night i assumed you meant she was there till 2 a.m <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know Liz liked to party. I mean, yeah. She did, as a reminder, we talked about this in the Rocky Horror episode when she met, uh, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. This was, this was that was uh, Dirty Diana, Princess Diana, that told, <laughs> uh, that told Tim Robbins, that, or Tim Robbins, Tim uh, Curry, Amazing. that uh, that Rocky Horror had complete, what if it was Tim Robbins and that's just how <laughs> old she was? She's just like, Wait, also, I loved you in Rocky Horror. I do want to see Tim Robbins <laughs> as Frankenfurter. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I would watch that. He's more—he's frankly a perfect Brad, but I—I I, I mean, he—he'd right. <laughs> he'd probably be the criminologist at this point, <laughs> which would be a great role for him too. Now that I'm saying it, yeah, true. Um, Tim, anyway, all right, fine. A Tim, I, a Tim Robbins one-man Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, I have I have this whole like relationship to that part of Paris, but I also like. There's nothing more annoying in this world than people who love French culture, like who like that's their personality is like, I love French shit. And so I don't, I don't lead with it, but that's like, 
those are all my feelings about Moulin Rouge. Yeah. How, do you just I mean, tell me about how you fucks with Moulin Rouge? For the listener, she was eating a croissant through that entire segment. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, me. So I, I did, I did not see this in theaters. I do remember I must have rented it, uh, from uh, Blockbuster awesome. Video on DVD, and I remember watching it in high school, uh, with uh, uh my my high school girlfriend, and uh, we watched it, and then I, I must have. I think I bought it, even though I, even though my my thoughts about it was like when I saw it the first time, I was like, "Well, that was pretty fun." And then I think I bought it because it had just like a great cover. This was in the days where you'd buy a DVD because it had a great cover. You know what I mean? I mean, also <laughs> it was the days where you'd buy a DVD because like Hollywood videos selling used copies for two fifty. See, and that is true, but I definitely have a memory that it, this was not a previously viewed copy because it had like a big. Uh, Big box. It was a big, big box DVD. Mm-hmm. Not like clamshell, but a it was collector like collector item. It was kind of a collector. It looked, it looked weird. I, that's that's what drew me to it. And then I must have watched it one, maybe two more times. And I always had this. And, and I'm, I'm not saying this is my current opinion because I've updated my opinion since then. <laughs> but my opinion at the time was always this movie's really fun for about forty five minutes to an hour, and then it's really boring for about forty five minutes to an hour. Uh-huh. Now again, I've updated that, so we'll see. I'm sort of going to try and couch my opinion as best I can until the end. Um, but that's sort of the long and short of it is that I, I liked it enough to buy it, and then I don't think I own it on DVD anymore. I think it was a, a victim of one of many purges of sure, sure, of my sure. DVD collections. We've only briefly touched on the fact that there's a giant hit song um, that's that's associated with this musical. That's not or sort of barely in the musical um yeah. but uh, let, let's just hold on that and we'll we, I, I think we'll have plenty to talk about i think uh, yeah i think that that, that is i wanted to follow it up with like what is your lasting opinion but i, I that's a conversation yeah. i want to have with everyone well let me uh let me start to bring in our our guest who we have joining us for this episode uh he was uh he's a louisville based stand-up comedian one of this nation's great uh, headliners as well as a very funny uh he'll, he'll do sketch he'll do improv he'll do musical comedy he'll do it all you guys and uh uh you can you know him from our rent episode and now he's back you guys it's sean smith hi sean what's up bohemians what's happening <laughs> yeah, sean this is the second musical that you are doing oh. for our podcast that is based on la Bohem. oh my god can't get away <laughs> can't get enough <laughs> um yeah, hey, Moth Mothpo, hey. what's going on? Uh, how's Moth, it going? Mothpo, aka Empty Empty P. That's right. Uh, but uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to ask you all about your uh, relationship with this movie. But first, uh, Steph's going to bring in our other guest. Yeah, Leanne Reno is a performer, and she is a member of the Coil Variety Hour Radio Project. I just messed up the name. <laughs> She's going to tell us all about it. Hi, bud. Hi, uh, it's The Coil Project is the theater company. Uh, our radio show is The Coil Project Variety Hour. Boom. Out of beautiful, what do we call it, Baltimore? Uh, we'll say Washington, D.C. Out of beautiful Washington, D.C., this nation's capital. That's like every Maryland person's nightmare. Like, you just have to... <laughs> you're in the middle somewhere, you pick one. You know, whichever. Yeah, I just realized we're going to be able to have Leanne back to talk about hairspray and the uh, racial tension in Baltimore. <laughs> yes. Um... Well, uh, Sean, let me come back to you and ask you, because uh, the, the, you sent me a list of movies before we had you on the first time. Rent was not on that list, by the way. I just made you come not, on to talk yes, about Rent. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Moulin Rouge was on that list. Uh, so what is your relationship to Moulin Rouge? Do you fox with it? Yeah, um, it is complicated now after watching it. But um, initially, it was my return to liking um, uh, musicals again. I think... Um, I was an athlete and uh, 
you know, it's not very cool as an athlete to talk about the musicals you like. So I had to let it go for some years. Um, and then in college, as people do, I was trying to um, get closer to a girl. And she was like, let's watch this. You know, and I was like, oh, all right. Like, yeah, I can watch Mulan Rouge. She's like, really? So we watched it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I actually like this. I like that they are incorporating like somewhat modern songs. And then now in hindsight, I'm like, the songs really weren't that modern at the time. I don't know. <laughs> the song choices are so weird, but wild the, song choices. It was so weird. But at the time I was like, oh, that's cool that they're, you know, incorporating modern songs and, you know, making them into the musical and making the story. I thought that was real creative. And I remember like after that, I was like, oh, I can like musicals. Like I can I can kind of get into this. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I probably watched it probably about the same amount of times as you, maybe two or three times. But this is my first time in like forever watching this movie. Hell yeah, I can't wait to hear uh, what that did to you. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, Leanne, what about you? Uh, this may shock you, Andy. I have very strong opinions about Moulin Rouge. <laughs> okay. Um, I fuck with Moulin Rouge so hard. Wow. Um, okay. I unabashedly love it. Um, I saw it for the first time in theaters when I was 14. Um, I was getting ready to go on a trip to like with people to people the like sounds like a scam. They send you a thing. You go with a bunch of teenagers to Europe like thing when you're in okay. high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they had us do this thing where you're supposed to have like an overnight like sleepover with basically like other people from your group. So you get to know them ahead of time. Sure, the normal way that you get to know people. The normal way you get to know people. (laughs) And so one of the girls on the trip and I decided that we were going to go see a movie and then, you know, hang out, I guess. And so we decided to go see Moulin Rouge because we were going to go to France. And little 14-year-old me did not know that movies could look like this. So, like, the cinematography of seeing this, you know, crazy Baz Luhrmann movie, like, blew me away. Um, that's a fair point i mean like movies did not look like this movies didn't look like this this and like sin city when i you know a few years later Mm -hmm. were kind of like Uh the big uh like oh movies can look different like moments for me people can take swings not to not to take you too far off base but do any of you remember the movie spun spun it was a movie with uh uh mina savari and uh i want to say jace uh jason schwartzman and and Patrick Fugit, and it's directed by Jonas Ackerland, who directed the Madonna Ray of Light video, mm-hmm. as long as a number cool. of music videos. But it is like it, along with it, goes hand in hand with Moulin Rouge, I think, in terms of like these movies from the early 2000s that were really taking music video direction to heart and putting it into cinema in an interesting way. Um, that I think is um, pretty uh, assaulting on the senses, like, <laughs> of, in a, like now, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I like came out of this movie and I was like, what just happened to my eyeballs? Also, uh-huh. why was Smells Like Teen Spirit in here? <laughs> yeah. They told us in the beginning of the movie what was going to happen. This was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And so that kind of, you know, influenced my feelings on it over the years. But I still, I I still fuck with it. I still love it. I think Smells Like Teen Spirit is sort of the turn when you're watching it as like a 14 to like, you know, 19 year old, like we all were. I think Smells Like Teen Spirit is kind of the turning point in the, in the song usage in the movie because every other song is from sort of our parents' right. lifetime yeah. or before. Um, and uh, and then when it gets to Smells Like Teen Spirit, you're like, oh, the, okay, this is interesting. They're doing it. But that's sort of the most modern 
Yeah, that was the first, the one I remember at fourteen catching and being like, "Oh, this is a cover. Uh, (laughs) Why are they doing this?" Yeah. Oh, so you were like, "Oh, I love all these original songs. Why are they throwing a cover (laughs) song in the middle of all this?" So it smells like Teen Spirit. Or the one that at least, um, like, drew me out of the visual, like, LSD yeah. trip mm-hmm. I was on up until that point. <laughs> so you guys know that what I like to do here before we start talking about sort of the plot of the movie is to talk about how a movie gets made and sort of the steps on that process. Uh, this is Baz Luhrmann's, you know, they call it the Red Curtain Trilogy, as I'm sure we're all aware. It's the the Strictly Ballroom and Romeo plus Juliet, uh, which would be a, another movie to talk about Uh great musical sequences in a non-musical movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, so he does, this is like the basically the point where he has made those other two movies and he has the blank check, as it were, you know, to sort of make whatever he wants. That's interesting because I do, this does feel like um, someone unleashed without anyone around them to like bounce say ideas no. off of. Or just, or just <laughs> like say like, tell me more. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, Invest like it really feels like this is we're just like inside his little mind palace. Yeah. Um. So he basically he does base it on La Boheme. He bases it on several operas, including the tragedy of Orpheus and Eurydice, because it's about you know a poet who's sort of the great one of the great poets of his time uh, and who descends into a dark underworld to rescue his love from a, a depraved duke. That's basically the story of Orpheus mm. and Eurydice, which I'm not acting like I knew before I played the video game Hades. I learned because <laughs> of the video game Hades. Um. He he goes to see. I don't know. I'm not sure if you guys can pick this up in the movie, but Baz Luhrmann had just been to India when he started making this movie. <laughs> sure, it's uh, sure. And he Influence. goes, to, yeah, he goes to see a Bollywood movie for the first time in India, and he talks about how sort of fascinated he is with how uncool the whole thing is. That's a, a word he uses a lot. That it's like he there's they're going from like this low humor to this extreme melodrama and then a musical sequence and like the audience is just on board for all of it and has no problem and he's he wonders if he can get a western audience to get past that what he calls the cerebral cool and the perceived cool uh, and be able to switch i know (laughs) i know (laughs) and be able to switch from low comedy to, to melodrama so yeah um that's all lining up now now that i know that yep uh huh yeah now that I think of it as, like, a thesis project. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about casting a little bit, because there's there's three characters who have names that are based on real performers at the Moulin Rouge. Mm. Uh, and those are Mum Fromage. And Steph, of course, you spent some time in Paris. Uh, and, and Steph, do you want to tell people what the only thing under my name in my yearbook uh, was my senior year? Um, I happen to know that you were a noted member of the French National Honor Society. That's right, which I take as a chance to rub in Steph's face any chance I get, <laughs> uh, even though she speaks much more fluent French than I do. Um, but so one, so one of these characters that kept, keeps their name from a real person is Mum Fromage. So what does that mean, Steph? Uh, it means kid cheese. Kid cheese. Um <laughs> Lam- well, importantly, Lamom is um, is like a like a nickname for like like yeah like they're like the kid or like the blessed yeah. one, um, and they it has become the name for Edith Piaf. Like they will refer to her. She is l- the Lamom. Lamom. Yeah. Um, and then another. Did we all catch what the only black character in the movie is? <laughs> the chocolate. Chocolate. God bless. Uh, but that apparently is based on a real person, and I, it doesn't make it better. Better. Uh, 
Uh, sort of what Steph was saying is you just you need more black characters in the movie. You can't just have one black character and have a man shock a lot. Even like, if and if real. you want to lean on that as a reality thing, fine. But yeah, you, you can't... can't lean on anything as a reality thing in movies. Yeah, yeah exactly. and you can't have him talking to another guy whose name is the Argentinian. Yeah. Get... <laughs> like, come on, dude. You yeah. can't look at this movie and say, well, we could only have one black guy because there was only one black guy. Because yeah, we, have yeah, keep, exactly. we have to keep we have to keep the realism real. to Mulan. It's Bruce. like it's like George R. R. Martin's defense of rape in Game of Thrones. You're like, no, that's what it was like back then. You're like, Fuck <laughs> back when dragons back were around my head. No. Also, it's um, not even like there were a lot a lot of black people in Paris at this sure, time. Sure, yeah. Uh huh. No, there um, were. Well, there's the, never been any black people in France, <laughs> Steph. Obviously. I don't know so what you're who, talking. Uh, about. Who, who was Chocolat? I mean, was he a part of? He like was a real Moulin Rouge entertainer. I'm not sure what he did. He may have just been a... Did he just look sternly at odd times? <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. But I want to talk about one more of of the people who's named after their, a real person, and that is La Petoman. Uh, and you don't know what that means, right, Steph? Mm-mm. La Petoman. Well, it means uh, the fart master. And <laughs> uh, this was a person who would perform at the Moulin Rouge as an on-demand farter. Uh, and this is an exact quote uh, from, a, from a history report I read. Little farts warmed up the crowd. La Petoman named the toots as he went, doing such impressions as a bride on her wedding night. A very little fart. <laughs> a lengthy 10-second fart replicated the sound of a dressmaker tearing two yards of calico. Then, with all his might, he blasted one in the form of a cannon firing. With That's all La his might. Yeah. I just wanted to take a little history lesson to learn about La Petoman, who does, does not, to my knowledge, fart in this movie. This is why people don't like people who are obsessed with French culture. <laughs> uh, originally, the Green Fairy was going to be a long-haired muscle man with a giant sitar, and Ozzy Osbourne was hired to provide the vocals. And then it's changed to like the Tinkerbell thing, played by Kylie Minogue, but then you still hear Ozzy in the mix at times. Like, there's the crazy train laugh is in there. <laughs> I would love to have been there to see the look on Kylie Minogue's face the first time someone told her that she was replacing Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I feel like that would be a lovely would, moment. I would love to see the look on her face when Baz Luhrmann is like, yeah, can you just stand in front of this green screen and twerk for half a day? That's about right. <laughs> we'll yeah. work with that. Um, Does anybody... I This is like the one time in this movie that they talk about absinthe, too, is mm-hmm. when they like they sort of shoehorn it in to get Kylie Minogue there. And I don't have a problem with that particular shoehorn. But, like, does anybody have an experience with absinthe that was, like, worth talking about? Because I do not. And no one I know ever has. But it has this, like, reputation. I... That's all. I have not tried it. I have been to, like, theater kid cast parties where people have some. And I... Wow. Do not partake because... No, thank you. I'm going to tell you, you I I don't even know what it is. I mean, I I assume it's some type of alcohol, but like I'm completely green to what. Well, it's a type of alcohol that's supposed to allegedly, I think because of wormwood properties, give you um, hallucinogenic. You you said worm, wormwood? Wormwood. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. And I'm not going to look it up. All right. Uh, I refuse to. But But there's this sort of like, like the um, Toulouse-Lautrec has like some absinthe paintings and like, it's sort of like part of like the lore of Moulin Rouge and like this area. And I kind of feel like it's like Boz is like, yeah, like we're all tripping on absinthe, and that's why it, the movie yeah. is this way. Artists mm-hmm. and you, yeah, 
that whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I read these words, which uh, bring my blood run cold. Leonardo DiCaprio auditioned to play Christian. Mm. I'd never, I don't think, read the words Leonardo DiCaprio auditioned. You know what I mean? <laughs> is that the part that made your blood run Yeah, cold? honestly. Like, not only has he, like, been one of the hugest stars in the world for, like, the later part of the 90s, but he's already carried a Baz Luhrmann movie right. on his back. And he makes him come in and read for it. And I guess doesn't get it. And maybe he can't sing. Or I, I was about know to say, maybe he made him sing. Yeah. Ethan Hawke apparently also auditions for it. I even read a story that um, uh, uh, Elijah Wood does a song and dance number for to audition for it. But oh, I could it. see that he'd mm-hmm. be he'd be a cute little mopey guy. Uh, Courtney Love auditions for Satine and um, does not get the part, but signs off on "Smells Like Teen Spirit" being used in the movie. Which I I like to think that they were like, oh yeah yeah yeah, come audition and and um hey while you were here while you're here just we'll definitely call you about the part, but while you're here. <laughs> Just you sign uh, this uh, thing, and, and we'll call you about the part. You were so good. You were so good. Um, that seems right. That but, seems right. But then uh, something that happens later in production is that Baz Luhrmann hires Marilyn Manson to sing Smells Like Teen Spirit, mm. and Courtney Love pulls a performer approval clause in her contract, and uh, and because I guess they have some sort of longstanding feud, Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love. And so six days before the movie is released, they f- she forces the production to find uh, an unknown band, basically, to record Smells Like Teen Spirit mm-hmm. because she hates Marilyn Manson so much. Maybe you should have cast her in something. Um, <laughs> Nicole Kidman, obviously, is going to get the part, but it's like a Wizard of Oz-level hell shoot for her. She uh, breaks her ribs twice during dance lifts. She tears the cartilage in her knee during a fall. She breaks a rib, tightening a corset, to get her an 18-inch waist, and she falls down the stairs dancing in heels. And so a lot of the scenes in this movie are shot from the waist up because she is in a wheelchair on the set. Wow. Did they show girls Nicole Kidman in this movie? (laughs) Wait, explain that reference to me. You know in the movie Showgirls when, like, everybody's, like, shoving her downstairs and it's like... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it may have been. It may have been a very jealous... Maybe that girl who plays Nini was pushing her downstairs, getting too into the part. Real uh, Jim Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman type performance. <laughs> exactly. But for what it's worth, she's going to get an Oscar nomination out of this. And uh, and in fact, this movie is going to be nominated for eight Oscars, including wow. Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Makeup, Best Sound, Best Editing, and then it wins Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design. Wow. Uh, best you, Editing. Best Editing is the one that without the a doubt makes editing. me the most furious. <laughs> um, Leanne, you got something cooking, I can tell. Okay, look. <laughs> I said I fucks with this movie. <laughs> but like any, any acting award for this movie. No. No. I, well, you so can't, I like artistic how, like, awards, maybe, but oh, that hurts. I, I could I support an award for John Leguizamo. Yes. In what is essentially a glorified cameo. Like John Leguizamo and like Ziggler, yes, but like. Nicole Kidman. Two things I want to mention about John Leguizamo. One is that this is the second movie where he plays a little person. I was just about to say that. Yeah. (laughs) What a weird typecast. I know, I know. Two is that he um, is such an unnoted singer that Mm. Encanto is written all around him not singing. You know what I mean? The movie Encanto (laughs) is like, there's like a whole song about his character so that he doesn't have to sing. You know what I mean? That everyone else sings. Yeah. Um, and so he, when you told me stuff that he is the one singing at the very beginning of this movie, I couldn't believe it. I, they must have done something 
Because he's very uncomfortable with his singing, apparently. And maybe he had some experience on this that made him tell Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, hey, I'm not singing in Encanto. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know, like, what, you know, if it's him that we hear or what they did. But, like, he sounds fine. He doesn't, like, sound, (laughs) that's not a shared opinion. Everyone's Well, no, I was was thinking, I felt like I remembered in his one-man show, Freak or whatever, he did some singing. And it was actually halfway decent, too. Yeah. Like, I don't. And, like. His singing in Encanto is not great, but yeah, he just sort of warbles one line in in uh, in something. Did he on. sing in here? Did he sing in Tu Wong Fu? <sighs> That's a great question. Oh. I feel like by nature they would all be lip syncing for their life. That's fair because that's what drag queens. That's do. a good question, though. But now I'm gonna have question. to go back and watch them. There's <laughs> this like quiet shot of him after um, the Elephant Love Medley, where like he's. He just, like, sings, like, this little echo, like, he's been watching them, and he sings how wonderful life is now that you're in the world, and, like, his face is just touched with tears, and he, it just, like, it's very, I don't understand in character or in the movie, like, what it's doing in that moment. It doesn't make sense to me from his, from Toulouse's perspective, but it's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. He's, he, look, I think John Leguizamo is a very gifted actor, and... Sean, you're one of the only people I've ever talked to who even remembers his one-man show, Freak. It was uh, it, well, almost, like, life-changing for me. Honestly, like, it was, like, very, I don't want to say inspirational, but certainly, like, a, a, an influ- influential. For like, sure. I mean, as a performer. He, he danced, sang, told a full story. Uh-huh. It was funny. It was sad. Like, I, at that time, had never seen anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean. and, and more every of a one-man show in, than... Than, com- than a comedy special, so yeah. more of a one man show. But it's good stuff. He's and Sorry, he's a, he's an excellent performer in in everything that he's in. He always adds like a an added depth to any role that he's in. Like I, I don't I don't know. There are so many times where I feel like he should be utilized over someone else, and he's for whatever reason maybe just very selective of his parts. But he's still- well. As a reminder, he was mad last year that they made Luigi not Latino anymore. <laughs> Yeah, he thought he he thought he nailed the role. <laughs> yeah, he nailed the role. I have feelings about that, Andy. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have feelings about as a, that. As an Italian or as, as a as an Italian, I have some feelings, John Leguizamo. <laughs> um, but you know, this is not the time nor the place. Well, so Liam, the only thing I want to say about Nicole Kidman being nominated <laughs> for an Oscar is like, you know, when like a guitar is out of tune, but it's like in tune to itself. <laughs> That's like, like, Nicole Kidman is at least in tune with the the wavelength of this movie. That's true. Yeah. In the context of the movie, she's doing what she and needs I to do. And I do, I like the combination of her voice and Ewan McGregor's voice. Mm-hmm. They're both, like, a little bit weird, and, like, it's, like, the same, it's, like, a weird that works well with each other. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. found that Ewan McGregor, I thought, was light years better than her in terms mm-hmm. of, like, acting and singing. And so I remember Tiny Leanne being very upset about this, that Nicole Kidman got that nomination. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and she's going to win, I think, the year after this? or the, or two For the years hours, after this. something like that? For the yeah. hours, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if she's in, and I think she's in other musicals, but I can't think of what they are. He He's only in one other musical that I can think of, and that's 2016's Beauty and the Beast. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. He, he, he doesn't do a lot of musicals after this, even though... He really like uh, just 
made a lot of teenage girls dizzy with the sound of that I, voice that he was doing. <laughs> I will make a statement right now, which is, I mm-hmm. think his version of your song is better than Elton John's version of your song. Whoa. I, I mean, he, look, so what I will say is he look. changed, he changed the way that many people sing the line, if they're green or they're blue. For all of history. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Like... That's how that song goes now. That's how <laughs> yeah. that song goes now. I, yeah. I can't co-sign it. your other statement. But that, I... to me, <laughs> that to me has become my definitive version of that song. Well, um, that's fair. I, you know, in my last episode of your podcast, I said, I don't think tap dancing is real. In this episode, <laughs> I said, I prefer Ian McGregor's your song. This is, this is how I come at your show now. And Tap off the dancing. podcast, off podcast, you constantly swear to me that the Thomas Jane Punisher movie is good. I, you know, it was my definitive Punisher until until <laughs> Netflix. But you know, here we are. So until you and McGregor plays the Punisher, and then that'll be <laughs> Punisher. I um, I love Tom Jane. I'm sorry. <laughs> can, so this movie only makes 57 million domestically, uh, and like another 32 in the UK, and then a kind of another hundred scattered domestically because it's a very like. It's probably a very easy movie for foreign audiences to watch because it's mostly flashy and style and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so it makes about $200 million worldwide. So that's that's not bad. But I was surprised to find out that it was so small domestically. Uh, but I guess it just finds its audience on DVD, as so many things did in that era. Um, let's talk about Lady Marmalade before we get all the way into the movie. Um, so it's a cover, obviously, the 1974 LaBelle song, and this version reaches number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and spends five weeks at the top of the chart. In case you don't know, in case you're too young or too old and you're listening to this podcast, Lady Marmalade is covered here by Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, Pink, and, uh, Missy Misdemeanor Elliot, who also produces it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. uh-uh. She does. So <laughs> uh, she lists all those names, and then at the end, it's just... <laughs> Iconic. Lil' Kim. Uh, And then, so it's um, the ninth song in in history to top the U.S. charts uh, as with different artists singing it. It's the third airplay-only song in Billboard chart history, meaning it was not on an album. Like, it was, it just got to the top of the charts on airplay. uh, And the only other songs that had done that at that point in history were Aaliyah's Try Again and Shaggy's Angel. Can Can I add some here? Yeah. So, um, I just was listening to Will Smith's um audiobook, um, which is phenomenal if anybody is interested. I know he's made a lot of people sour lately, but it really is an incredible audiobook. When when's the book from? Uh it was pre slap. So okay. I think <laughs> it was like the year before slap. Okay, all right, I got it. Um, but it is it's really 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 insightful and phenomenal and he does a lot of interesting like musical ads into it regardless he was talking about how um he intentionally started making songs for movies as a way to promote movies because song play gives Mm. more of a platform it has a wider reach than if you're you know putting up a, a trailer or a theme for the movie so then after that, the, the movies that you're talking about with Aaliyah um, and all of those kind of started taking on that model of um, adding these musical references to these movies to have a wider reach for yeah. for theatrical trailer. And I thought that was interesting this, that that started from him. Yeah, this totally is like right like five years after he starts doing that. Yep. Interesting. Is Try Again from Romeo Must Die? 
Yes. Is that, that that's her, the one with him and DMX, right? Her, uh, Ali and DMX? Yeah. Uh, that's her and Jet Li. And DMX or Jet Li, like yes. her brother or something. Yes, 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 yes. And then, yeah. so, yes. Um, what's her other one that's from Dr. Doolittle? Oh, it's, uh, Are You That Somebody? Are You That Somebody? Are You That Somebody? It's from Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Like, and you'll see, like, they start having these songs, but in the middle of the music video, they'll show clips of yeah. the Yeah, I do remember that. In there. In that yeah. video, Aaliyah is dancing in front of a screen that is showing clips of the Dr. Clips, Doolittle. The clips, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all movie promo. Every time I hear that sexy-ass song, I remind myself that the secret she's talking about keeping is that she can talk to animals. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so this is the longest reigning number one on Billboard's top uh, 40 chart for an all-female collaboration. Uh, it's the best-selling single for uh, at least Lil' Kim and Maya, who never charted higher than this. Hmm. Um, which is funny because I do feel like Ghetto Superstar has like, stood the test of time and still is played all the time. And then Lil' Kim uh, has the record for the longest number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 for a female rapper until... She is surpassed by a real rapper, uh, Iggy Azalea, uh, with the song Fancy <laughs> um, in 2014. Uh, so yeah, that's all I'll, uh, that's all I really have to say about sort of the production of this movie and about Lady Marmalade. Wasn't Ghetto Superstar also from like Bullworth? It's a good point. Right? It, the Ghetto Superstar is from Bullworth. In fact, Ghetto Superstar spoiled the movie Bullworth for me <laughs> because there's a line in that. I, before I saw the movie, there's a line in that song that said, where ODB says, I'm just spreading my love. I didn't know my love was the one holding the gun and in the, the glove. glove. And yeah. then, and so when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, well, it's probably his love interest. And then sure, like that's the plot <laughs> of the movie is Holly, Holly Berry is like, trying to she's the assassin who's who he hired to kill him uh weird movie bullworth Warren <laughs> Beatty made some weird movies and if you know odb it's really weird that he watched a movie enough to actually know the plot to <laughs> include it into a rap <laughs> i was just listening to one about him with the uh, um uh chris rock's album where they like had all of these sketches planned for him and then he just got into the booth and was like if you met a rock, what would you ax it? And they were like, all right, that's it, man. That's it, let's go. Put it on there. That's it. Well, let's uh, let's let's get into it. Let's, so, uh, again, we don't need to go beat by beat, but this movie does open with you and singing uh, Nature Boy. By okay, Matthew importantly, Cole. though, it doesn't. Sorry, this music it opens. O- it opens, we get this, like, sort of envelope thing where we, like, see, we get, like, a proscenium and, like, a grainy camera shot before we get the 20th Century Fox logo. And then we get Lil Leguizamo in, like, That's a right. full and, and the, clown setup. The two and, important words that I have to say are red curtain. We get a red curtain. We get we a get red curtain. The the yeah. eponymous red curtain of the red curtain trilogy. trilogy. Yeah. Lugazamo is singing his little nature boy to like bring us in. And then and then we get uh, Dashboard Confessional Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I do. Okay. There are a lot of costumes that I want to talk about in this movie. But I, I, <laughs> there, there are two of Ewan McGregor's like, like sad looks when he's mm-hmm. like being like a sad poet. That where he has like one is like um like a slinky scarf and a fedora, mm-hmm. and then the other one is like a a white tank top with a a vest over it, so like his arms are out, and these are just two looks that were like, I swear every like vaguely bobo <laughs> hippie <laughs> dude in the two thousands was like that that's me, I feel seen put some sleeves on um. <laughs> Yeah, I love... Okay, wait, real quick. Let me get this in. This is Harold Ziedler um, listening to emo music. 
She's dashboard confessing! <laughs> um. <laughs> Wait, okay. So yeah, so then um, we get Leguizamo. So we see um, Christian is in his apartment and then Leguizamo and his little band of Bohemian Revolutionary Theater troop buds like literally fall in. And I, that's the, mu- that's the musical that I want. I want mm-hmm. to follow this little band of dudes and, and like watch them make stage shows for the next 50 years. But instead we're going to then follow Christian to Moulin Rouge. It's um, very much like the rude mechanicals in Midsummer Night's Dream. It's yes. like, I'm much more interested in you than anything going on with these lovers. They are boring. Mm-hmm. I want to see the narcoleptic Argentinian falling over in the middle of stuff. <laughs> Uh-huh. You are much more fun to me, for sure. Now, That's interesting. I saw. I was reading that Baz Luhrmann had watched um, a staging of Britain, Benjamin Britten's opera of A Midsummer Night's Dream, and that was uh-huh. like part of his little inspo. So I bet it really, very literally, is the mechanicals. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I should also write a play where the side characters are more interesting." <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, uh, the only thing I want to say, there's a lot of obviously, um, anachronisms in this movie and I, I I sort of let them all pass. Mm -hmm. The one thing I have a problem with is that they are putting on a play of the sound of music, (laughs) which is the story of a nun in world war (laughs) two. Right. It's the the whole story. The whole story is that it's a nun in world war two saving this family from the Nazis. And uh, so, yeah, if it, the Bohemians so. had knowledge that Hitler in World War II was going to happen, could <laughs> John Leguizamo have stopped Hitler? <laughs> I'll write that movie. I'll watch oh, that movie. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So so that is very much our like our tone of we are going to go to the Moulin Rouge, but we're doing it from this very specific perspective of Bohemia, and like they they talk a lot about like their love of the bohemian life and like the bohemian ideals of freedom and truth and love above everything else. Um, Can you tell me what you learned about the word bohemian right before we started recording? Oh yeah. So I, um, I did not know this, but I learned that bohemian. So like that idea and like what we think of as like a bohemian lifestyle is very explicitly like, French counterculture starting in like the mid 19th century and then sort of moving forward. Um, But the reason that that word is the word that we use is that it was based on the French word for bohème, which was an what their word for the culture that was in um, the Czech Republic, like before the current Czech Republic. And they're also referring to Romani people who at the time they called gypsies but so it's like it's like a wrong name for this group of people Mm. that then also like becomes this other thing but like Uh then because it it isn't actually based on the thing that they are basing on it's like only this thing it's very it's it's like buffalo wings to me it's like it's like named after this one region (laughs) even though it has so little to do with that region actually and i think it's also um a shakespeare thing too because i know in the play a winter's tale um they leave and go to bohemia like it's actually the place they go to it like the counterculture yes. place at this for the second half of winter's tale it's sort of like this like shorthand for like yeah like the eastern other, european counterculture yeah. 
Yeah. I've never seen A Winter's Tale. I've, I, um... it's, it's... Oh man, I almost made you go watch it. <laughs> Have you ever seen the porno version with Jennifer Lawrence? It's called Winter's Bone. <laughs> <laughs> that silence. Worth I it. got time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I got totally time. Okay. I can wait. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, Winter's Tale is a terrible Shakespeare play. It's not good. Fair she enough. does, I think, get pursued by a bear. Yeah, exit pursued oh. by a bear. Uh, Hermione wow. originate the name Hermione originates from Winter's wow. Tale. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know about that. <laughs> so they're gonna go to the Moulin Rouge in order to try and get Satine to star in their play. Yes, and then we get. Um, this is where we do get a little Lady Marmalade mixed in with Smells Like Teen Spirit mixed in with the Can Can, which has a real name that i have forgotten already um, it's called like the orpheus exiting from hell or something yeah like that. it's um it's but like it, it's from an opera yeah um, um and but so this is um what this is called on the soundtrack is ziedler's rap because <laughs> the year it's is so, 2001 it's so frustrating because they are playing lady Marmalade. you can hear the vocals of the five stars that i mentioned in the mix and then Jim Broadbent is doing worse lyrics at a different <laughs> tempo yeah. over uh-huh. the songs. Um, it's just the wildest choice I've ever seen. Can we talk about, um, speaking of the year is 2001, can we talk about like the birth of the mashup, like yeah. the modern mashup? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. this is very, for me, this is one of the places that I think of as like, where my introduction to mashup came from. But I, and like, I have a hard time separating that from like broader culture because I, like I was 14 when this movie happened. And so like, I'm also just becoming aware of things. Um, But like, man, this, these fuckers love a mashup. We're, I mean, we're, yeah, we're like five, six years away from girl talk still. And I just wonder if girl talk sees this in high school too. And it's just (laughs) like, Oh, you can do that. Yeah. Interesting. And then Pitch Perfect is like. I guess I want to talk about. Can we talk a sort of writ large about Jim Broadbent in this movie? A round of applause for Jim Broadbent. I um I love Jim Broadbent in every movie I see him in, or at least that's what I would have said if you had asked me this yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Jim Broadbent is doing the most cartoony of anyone, and that includes John Leguizamo as a little person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The man commits to the bit. I know. Um, I gotta he's got these that. eyes that just like physically pop out of his head like he's got a thyroid problem. There are very few frames in the movie where he is not looking directly down the barrel of the camera. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and going like, oh, oh, oh. Sometimes he like raises his eyebrows at us when someone else says something or like... Runs around, runs around them in a circle just to get to the other side of them and say something. Ugh. His character, too, is such an interesting, like, he's sort of, on the one hand, this, like, father figure um, or, like, an MC, like, the MC kind of role. But then on the other hand, he's, like, controlling things and, like, forcing Satine to have relations with this Duke when she doesn't want to because it would save the company, like, keeping her, like... He's doing just some basic, like, employer abuse. Yeah, like the first ever pimp with a heart of gold. <laughs> so maybe yeah, exactly. maybe less father, more stepfather. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kept feeling like this was, uh, it reminded me of Ren and Stimpy. 
how like there's like a lot of cuts and sharp like i will yeah. like yeah and i felt yeah. like he was like the lead uh rim of, yeah, of yeah. the group he was, there's like uh yeah. there's like scrubs whip pans in this movie yes. Yeah. yes yeah literally like there's one sh- there's one scene where they're like uh they're like oh well then where's ziedler and then you just hear like yes it's like his little footsteps running up to the door before he opens the door yes i mean he is truly the most cartoony and you know um, that every shot he did, Boz Lerman was like, yes! Like, he yeah, everything bigger. this man did. Yes. I mean, There's, he's another um, person. He, he's going to win an Oscar two years after this. Mm-hmm. So, for what? Oh, yeah. like, we, for Iris, starring Judy Dench. I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. Toward the end, he has this scene where he's, like, trying to convince the e- evil Duke to, like, play along with their bit. Or that, like, Satine does really love him or something. And he starts talking the lyrics to like a virgin. Right. And then it like devolves into it. And my, <laughs> when we were watching it, I'm like, I'm like physically rolling my eyes and like turning my body away from the screen. Mm-hmm. And then he does this like thoroughly glottal, like a, a, a virgin. <laughs> and I'm like, never mind, I'm back on board. And then they like, the, all the dudes in tuxes start their dance and i mean it is it's just the most just you talking about him leading up to it makes me like so <laughs> like my body just closes off to everything just like the memory of it the like a virgin sequence in particular so i mean steph and i were sitting there watching it going oh neither one of us remembers that this existed in the movie which is uh, wild it's so extreme it's funny that that was one that actually stood out to me Oh, really? Not not in a good way, but I I, I <laughs> definitely remembered someone screaming like a virgin, and I was like waiting like for that. Yeah, because yeah, you see, like there's all these like servants sort of getting the table ready, and then there's like close up shots of the servants as they like sort of start to hear what he's doing and sort of start to walk towards them, and then they just all go into synchronized uh, backup dance, dancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they've got like, like linens, so there's like it's like they have scarves to dance with. Yeah, and also, uh, I just want to say that I learned that they uh, covered the floor of this uh, shoot with Coca-Cola so that no one would slip. Oh. To make the the dance floor all slippery. Like sticky? Or sorry, not slippery, sticky. Yeah. Interesting. I bet that sounded terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't need sound when you're lip syncing. That's true. I was also, I was just reading about um, some dancer at the Moulin Rouge who... They had this like gimmick where the girl they came up out of cakes and like the the like cake was a box but there was real frosting involved in like the decoration and like as they emerged the frosting got everywhere and, and so they like fell and had to cancel the performance. One of my uh, favorite jokes from the movie The Adams Family is when they are waiting for a girl to jump out of the cake and then Gomez just walks over to the cake and looks inside and he goes, "Oh, Lurch, you're supposed to put the girl in there after you bake the cake." <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right, but that's not this movie. But Jim Broadman is, like, he had an art teacher who told him, like, look, I don't care if I hate, if I don't like it, I want you to make me hate it. Like, I want you to go to extremes with the garishness. And he really took that to heart. The only other thing I want to say about the Like a Virgin number is that um, when he starts actually singing, he is being dubbed by an opera singer who is impersonating the Jim Broadbent performance. Interesting. That makes sense. But so back back to the first number, which which we haven't said, but is well. So first, there's that whole thing that says the can can, 
you know, sort yeah. of the Ziedler's rap, the Lady Marmalade, all that stuff. The other thing I want to mention before we get away from the can-can is that it is, for some reason, produced by Fatboy Slim. Oh. It, something like, just when you thought this movie couldn't be any more 2001. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Nicole comes out and we get into Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Uh, because what a teens in the 2000s love more than a, a song from the 1950s. Um, <laughs> they put a drum kit under it. She's doing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, and there's this whole, whole sort of mistaken identity thing where Ziedler wants her to talk to the financer, the Duke, and Toulouse is, Latrec is trying to get them to talk to her about being in the play, and she ends up thinking that Ewan McGregor is the Duke, and that she has to fuck him. Uh, and meanwhile, he's just trying to, like, read her poetry and convince her that, she, that she's a good that he's a good writer is that about the size of it yeah that's that's the whole plot of the movie and i mean uh, also like i mean the the i just don't you can't under underscore enough how ridiculous the score is for so much of this movie like when nicole kidman is like pounding on the floor like acting like her the poem is getting her so hot like to have sex with you and mcgregor there's like slide whistles and like <laughs> i mean like they're they uh-huh. they went all the way into the 20th century fox cartoon room and got yeah. all the like slapsticks out they're really trying to make it clear that this is like a farce yeah but then so the like they have the scene where she thinks he's the duke and he just thinks that she's like a crazy prostitute who's in love with him or something i don't know um well, also they don't they don't ever use the word prostitute. They use the word courtesan, which is like used to just mean a court person, and now is like a fancy word for prostitute. Like we're just not. We we're talking about how um, like this movie comes out in two thousand one in the in the midst of this feminist wave that's like really cruel to sex workers, and so like there's this like idea that this movie is anti feminist because of like or like anti-women because of how it treats its one woman character and i don't it's because of how it treats her as a plot device and how her sort of um for lack of a better term whoring herself out and then like death is all a plot device you know what i mean like yeah. it's, it's not she has basically I... no agency in the movie she's just forced to either sleep with this man or this man and then die i see okay here's the deal i like that i think is the critique i don't think that that's true in the movie i think in the movie we see her over and over again being like I am choosing this life. I am choosing to do this thing. I'm making the choice between like my financial future and my relationship with this hot poet. Um, I mean, and then also she does get consumption and die. Like they do. That's not not there. And also to call her a, uh, the only female character in the movie is a great disservice to the, to the well-drawn character, Nini legs in the air. (laughs) First name Nini, last name legs in the air. Yeah. Um, but so that that I was thinking about that with this part where like she's just like doing her sort of her full actress thing and like thinks that she is doing the performance that like this crazy Duke person wants her to be doing. But then like, but then he sings your song. And Wait, that, but before that, can I talk? Was yeah. the, when she was doing like the sexy bark thing? Yeah, she like looks inside and like, oh, which starts in the club. What is that? She like gets the whole club a wild, wild round. No, but like barking. She's like, like, I know it's like a pre Arsenio Hall type. It is like a laryngitis. She doesn't know what his thing is. She's got to, you know, feel him out. 
the barking thing is she downed a clown i guess i would be remiss if i didn't tell you that the barking kind of works for me does that right <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah. Okay. and and that's not a suggestion stuff it's just like <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> it's just like look i'm not we're, we don't kink shame in this household <laughs> Hey, Steph, Valentine's Day is three days away. So now you know. What if on Valentine's Day, Steph walked in in a full dog costume? Look, <laughs> if you're going to be a dog, be a pit bull, Steph. I'm saying go looking like, out. Looking like Wilfred from FX. <laughs> <laughs> but so then the, the Duke's going to come in. Is, am I, is this sound about right yeah so then so she she takes christian back to her room thinking that she's taking the duke he thinks that he's just like oh hell yeah this went really well she's like listening to what i have to say and so she starts with the pitch um but then the it like turns into this real thing the duke then like does come in and so then they have to do this like he's hiding around and um it's just like it's it's farce comedy stuff. It's we we like, also get the uh, a very sensible plot element introduced, which is she will sleep with the Duke on opening night of the play. Yeah, like you do, and that um, <laughs> also he at some point in here gets to he like eventually agrees like yes I'll, I will fund your performance, um, but I want in a contract that Satine is mine and only mine. No one else can fuck her, and that's something that is contract enforceable in the world of this movie legally binding in france at the time yes yes it's 1900 she's a woman (laughs) um so uh so then we're gonna so then basically they're sort of making out on the bed and the duke walks back in because he forgot his hat and satine convinces them that they are rehearsing and right when the duke's about to be like well that's there's no one else here how are you rehearsing that's when everyone all the the whole gang who makes the play who has been spying on him this whole time which like if he was, if they were going to fuck, they were just going to sit there and watch it? Like, what yes. was their plan? Anyway, um, and so uh, so they all come in. They're like, oh, we're here for the rehearsal, the rehearsal. And they convince the Duke that the rehearsal is actually happening. Uh, and then they Ziedler do the, the pitch. In. And then they this do the pitch. This is the other song that spectacular, I... Yeah. Spectacular, spectacular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, and this, again, th- this song is... I mean, this this is one of the ones that probably we have all remembered since we saw the movie uh-huh, the first time, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And, and I guess I just have to ask how much of that is owed to the fact that this is a pre-existing melody mm-hmm. that a lot of us knew from Fox Kids commercials for the Animaniacs right. or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah we um, love the can-can. I, I think a lot of it. But also, like, there's they're doing some fun, like, camera perspective work where, like, they're all doing this performance, like, down the barrel um, because we understand that, like, that's the Duke's perspective as he's watching it. Um, if you happen to be rewatching this after listening to the podcast, watch the scene where the Duke comes in. It's before the song starts, and they're just sort of explaining the play to him. I have never seen so many cuts in a single scene. <laughs> oh that, I mean, it's like it's like Baz Luhrmann was allergic to letting the camera on someone for more than literally one second. Uh, pe- people like. One person will say a sentence, and in that sentence, it'll cut reaction shot, reaction shot, back to that person, reaction shot, back to that person. And it's yeah. like, it made me ill. It made Fast me not. Baz Luhrmann's The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he got, he's got Dom Toretto in there editing. <laughs> I do think that um, that your song is a great, um, it's a great example of how you can make a star intentionally. Mm. out of somebody like they he did a great job of all of all of the shots that you were just talking about of being quick shot did not exist when he belted out the first note in your song and 
it everything slowed down just in those moments. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, then I, I told Steph yesterday when we were watching it that when they when they first start singing your song was like the first time in the movie that I was like sort of able to breathe and sort of appreciate yeah. what was going on because it is the first time that they slow down. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it was it was really that was really well done and well shot. That I know I know Leanne really um, has a thing for Ewan's vocal in that, um, which I get. But I feel like he only has two tones. It's either really like full blow, or it's like kind of the soft. He doesn't really have very much yeah. in between. But he is in that moment like the star. Like they they did a great job with that. That's yeah. true. And then even when he was hiding from Duke, like even that stuff was very fun. Like where he's hiding underneath uh, Nicole Kidman and then like pops out a couple times. Like uh-huh. it was that was a really great scene. Very cartoony. The, the spectacular spectacular song is great um we're, we basically get the whole rest of the movie laid out for us mm-hmm. in this yeah. song it's very um it's funny that we keep bringing up shakespeare it's very shakespearean the, to like like romeo and juliet has like it opens with hey here's the whole story we're gonna tell you and then they do that and like this is again here's the whole story and then we're gonna tell you again in the middle and um we're just gonna keep shouting out that um love is the only thing that matters love is all you need that's that's the thesis of this christian movie. does it in the beginning with the typewriter you know uh-huh. like they tell over you over. like she yeah. gonna die and you know they just beat it home yeah it's mm-hmm. the same very prologue and yeah i had an interesting um, connection with this where i realized about it right at this point in the movie that this is I think another movie that I put on that list is very similar to Idlewild. And I don't think I realized oh, yeah. as a fan of Idlewild, I didn't realize like how similar those two movies really are. I know um, stuff you've never seen. Have you ever seen Idlewild, Leanne? No. It's uh the Outcast musical from like two thousand seven or eight. Uh, but it's, and it's very it's similar in plot. Um, interesting. Interesting. Well, seems like we're gonna have someone back. So after the pitch, they do the pitch, and then we get this sort of quiet exchange, um, which is one day I'll fly away, um, which is a honest. It's a good performance by Nicole. It's like mm-hmm. a it's a nice little like tight another one of these like quiet moments, and she it's her I want song. It's not like you know one of the big remembered I want songs, but like a nice little note, and then that like goes right into the elephant love medley. Which is so called because her house is in an elephant that is just living at the Moulin Rouge for some reason. This is, I mean, so uh, this is where I can definitely start to see where sixteen year old me had whiplash from the tone changes <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah, how like the first half of this movie is like Ren and Stimpy, and then all of a sudden it's a very slow, quiet love story for the second half of it. Yeah, like a virgin notwithstanding. I can't watch this. I couldn't watch this scene without thinking about, like, the song on the radio. It just isn't. And, like, even, like, the little, you know, when, like, they'll release a a song from a movie that has, like, verbal clips or just, like, moments from the movie, but they'll use different takes in the movie versus in, like, the song. This has a couple of those, and, like... It's it's weird how jarring they are just because, like, I've heard the other thing so much. They were in your bones. Yeah, but also that's the thing that I was thinking about during the song and not any of the stuff that was happening on screen. And I think that maybe says something about what's happening on screen and the song. I actually don't remember. So they played this on the radio? Yeah, yeah that's what... So And Leanne, you said they, they did in Jersey too? Yeah. We didn't... Yeah, we didn't have that in Memphis. We had Lady Marmalade on the radio and that was it. Mm. 
Yeah, we had both. Huh. We had Lady Marmalade first for sure, but this made its mm-hmm. way a little bit. This was like definitely like the the like I don't know like the street hit as it were. Like this is what like me and all my friends would like listen to or pass around or whatever or whatever, whatever when I knew knew. But like you know, I, I never once heard it on the radio. So that's mm-hmm. wild. Interesting. And yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of hard to like brush past it because it is so. I feel like it is what sticks with people uh, a lot. I, I guess the only choices I want. So it's a lot of love songs, and and I guess the only thing I want to say it makes it takes some songs that were definitely like not cool at the time, which goes sort of goes to whole Boz's whole thing about how he wants to be uncool. Yeah, but like sure. um, Joe Cocker's "Love Lifts Us Up." That was like a very, I would say, a markedly uncool song at the time. Sure. Uh, and so it's cool what they're able to do with that. Um, Heroes is such an interesting choice because we're probably like, what, two or three years after the Wallflowers covered it for Godzilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, other than that, it's all pretty basic love songs. He does sing um, the most unnotable part of the song Don't Leave Me This Way. Which is, that's the song where the hook goes, my heart is filled with love and desire for you. And he sings the part of the song that no one really knows, which is uh, the verse. Um, (laughs) But overall, I guess my question before we move on from this is, does it work still? The love medley. I think so. Oh, yeah. Could have been more of a mixed um, response from the Zoom. I like, yeah. (laughs) I I don't have like, things to say about it but it was like a nice moment and like they do i you know what else i did have to say is that it made me um wonder if they wanted like a remastered version because it does a lot of like like the camera spins around and then all of a sudden they're like on the rooftops with clouds and fog everywhere and then like they go back and they're in the room and they're stars and like i just wonder if he had a vision for how that would look that like would be executed differently with mm-hmm. the tools that we have today. Seems like this movie could use a remaster. I feel like it was, um, I didn't like how it started. I felt like it, it had a very clunky start, but probably mm-hmm. intentionally based mm. on like where the characters were. And then by the end of it, they were in full harmony and it was, I thought it was mm. a good moment mm-hmm. for us. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Right. It is That's very right. much like they come together. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, from here, the movie moves to, like, they're having this relationship while also rehearsing this play and, like, hiding their relationship from the Duke who's there. He sort of, the Duke kind of becomes this, like, bigger and more cartoony bad guy. Um, and the next, so in here is where that, like, a virgin thing that we talked about mm-hmm. is. Um, and then we also get the song Come What May, which is the one original song, really? Yeah. There, so I have an interesting story about this. So this song is written by David Bauerwald for Romeo plus Juliet mm. and not used. And so he uses it for Moulin Rouge and Christian writes it in the movie. And it's the one completely original song in the movie. But because it was written for another movie, it's not eligible for the best original song Oscar. Wow. Interesting. Seems like a hell of a, um, a a technicality to me because it was not in that other movie. Right, it didn't appear. Wow. And also, longtime listeners will know that uh, the song White Christmas is nominated from two separate movies for the Best <laughs> Original Song Oscar. Yeah. Also, so... just don't tell anyone you wrote it for that other movie. Right? <laughs> just not, just they didn't keep have that to know that part. To yourself, man. I wonder if that's something <laughs> about like... W- when they registered the copyright. Like, the copyright has to be registered in a certain year. Hmm. I don't know. But you're right. They should have. They fucked up, Leon. I'll say it. 
I do. Be a little shadier, <laughs> Hollywood. I do like, so um, they, this is a song that's like written diegetically even. Like they're like, we're going to have this song and we're going to write it and you'll know, like even if, you know, you have to be fucking the Duke tonight, like you'll think of the song and you'll know that I love you. Um, and that's, that is very sweet. That is, and, that's a nice. And I'll ask the same question I asked about the love medley. Is it good? No. Ooh, even Leanne shakes her hand on that, shakes her head on that. I get I it. I think their voices sound good together. It does I don't know if it's good nothing as a for me. Nothing yeah. for you? Interesting. Right. It works better as um, a part of the plot than it does as an actual song. Mm-hmm. I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's really true. And that's, I, like, I'm not positive it would have been nominated even if it was eligible, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like it would have because they were real horny for this movie this year. Um, but I would have to look up what was nominated that year even to see, like, would it have made the cut, you know? Shortly after that, we get um, the Roxanne tango. Which... Yeah, okay. So the lead into this is that, um, <laughs> the well, so Nini legs in the air gets her little... She gets her legs in the air. She gets her legs where they don't belong. And uh, she tells the Duke that she basically hints to the Duke that Satine is in love with Christian. And so the Duke says, I want the ending of the play changed because the play, which is obviously an analog for them, is about this courtesan who chooses uh, the poor penniless sitar player over the rich Maharaja who will give her financial security. And the Duke says, why would she do that? Why would she go for the financial security? She should she should uh, end up with the Maharaja. And Christian (laughs) rips back because she doesn't love you. And then he's like, I mean him. I meant him, dude. I meant to say him. <laughs> like two minutes after being like, it's perfect. They'll have no idea. Bless. This song, it's another like, it's another mashup. This is the one. My theory is that this is where the concept for this movie started. Was that mm. he had, a, he was like, okay, what if it's the song Roxanne? But it's about, it's like the guy who's saying, you don't have to put on your red light. Because I love you for who you are. And then, like, they, like, built a story out from there. So um, it's, it's, the, it's the Argentinian, and he's telling a story. He, he opens it by saying, never love a woman who sells herself for money. It always ends badly. And then he's sort of telling his own story, which are we to imply that he, like, loved a, a sex worker and possibly killed her? Well, I think that's... it's. Oh, interesting. I had thought that it was, like, him doing it in the story because he is playing the sitar player. See, but he is... But this is off. This is off rehearsal. He's telling this story to Christian just to be like, here's why you shouldn't be in love with Satine. Interesting. Oh, I thought that it was, like, him telling the story to Christian being like, this is is the resolution for the sitar player. And then something that super confused me and stuff is that it does look like the Argentinian murders Nini at the end of this song. And I can't tell yeah. if that's a dance move. Because we don't see Nini for the rest of the movie, do we? I mean, mm-hmm. you should have, because she gave up our <laughs> also, girl. Also, this is this is where uh, Chocolat comes in and, like, saves Satine, oh, yeah. who's, like, maybe being raped by the Duke or about yeah. to be raped by the Duke. Yeah. But, like, he hadn't previously been there, so, like, he sort of just, like, appears out of nowhere it's very confusing. All of the mm-hmm. choices here are very confusing. Well, throughout the, the movie, Chocolat kind of like glowers over yeah. things that are going on with her, but he never says anything or like, I don't know. I don't know and if he's it, omnipresent or I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't really find much about Chocolat because when I Googled Moulin Rouge Chocolat, it was like, yeah, you'd probably like both of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we sort of get to the end here where they're performing the play. Well, I sort of skipped the part where like Satine convinces Christian that she's not in love with him anymore. She uses all of her acting prowess. Mm -hmm. Because the Duke is going to kill Christian. And so the only way to save him is to get him to run away. And the only way to do that is to act like you don't love him. Yeah. And then she sings Queens, the show must go on uh, while she uh, sort of gets ready for the play. Okay, except I do like, I, this is another one that I did not remember, but from like a musical theater perspective, it's doing what like Turning in Les Mis does or um, like the Notes song from Phantom of the Opera, which is like a little ensemble number from like all of the members of the cast that it like, it's like bringing us, it carries us into the finale. Into, and yeah, sort, sort of, of like, into actor. Here's everyone's in their final positions mm-hmm. and now end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, I liked, I liked the function of that song a lot. Sure. My, um, again, my, my, uh, initial, uh, touchstone for musicals, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical. So it's sort of an equivalent to, uh, Walk Through the Fire, uh, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. that regard. <laughs> okay, great. Sure. All right. So, uh, so then we get to the play, right? It's opening night uh-huh. and, and Christian is headed back to the Moulin Rouge. And how do we know that? Well, it's a Baz Luhrmann movie, so that means we're going to take a tracking shot from Christian's house <laughs> all the way to the front door of the Moulin Rouge. Sped up. Sped all the way up. Man, we he's... haven't even talked about any of the slow-mo. Yeah. There's so much unnecessary there's slow-mo, slow-mo there's happening There's fast-mo. In and I'm a fan of, like, fucking around with that. We Someone mentioned the Ray of Light video earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all that shit. And, like, I feel like that was also stuff that we were really playing around with in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. But there's also something about it that just doesn't, it reads really dated. This is like it the brief music videoification of, of cinema. Yeah. yeah. Like only happened in the 2000s. So yeah, so now we're at the finale, but we haven't, we also haven't talked about how this whole play, Spectacular Spectacular, that they're doing is set in India. And so everyone is like, all the, the actors are like dressed in these opulent, like, vaguely hindi looking garb and like there's like chanting happening and the singing there are no non-white people on stage like i don't even think chocolate is there um <laughs> there right? oh that's true yeah, yeah 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 he plays um oh, yeah. no he doesn't play the maharaja well, and i think that i think someone there's an i think there's an indian dancer who's like does the opening song of the play yeah, yeah. okay uh, okay who, which is, I think, from a Bollywood movie that she's, like, lip-syncing to and doing a wild dance to. And it's just, like, such a, like, sort of fetishist, like, oh, look how yeah. exotic all this dancing is. Yeah. And now the white people. <laughs> <laughs> that you care about. Yeah. It's it's just, it's bad. And then the play starts, and I can't tell you how much this play sucks. It's so, <laughs> so... So Satine goes out there, and she's singing every fifth word of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Right. Which, like, works if you, like us, have seen her sing it before. But imagine you just go to this play, and you're like, <laughs> is she is she forgetting to sing a yes. lot of the words? Hand. What's going on? Yeah. Diamond! That's it. No yeah. one stands up and, like, yells, she's having a stroke. <laughs> that is the most surprising part of this movie like no one is at all so just even i would have liked to see one person lean over and be like i think that broad has consumption <laughs> okay also so she does have consumption which we today call tuberculosis which is very contagious this girl mm. is like coughing her tb blood coughs all over the like 500 people that are crowded mm-hmm. they're all gonna die of tb in like yep. a year i get very mad about that <laughs> 
And so, and then when she finishes singing that, then uh, Ziedler comes in as the Maharaja and he hit, the way he puts his arms around her, it's like one arm over her right on her boob. <laughs> and, or no, it's this one. And then the other hand is just like reaching around right on her fupa. Just like yeah. resting on her. And I'll be honest, it's, she's wearing a corset, so it's a supa. Right on her supa. Uh, and, the, and then like, just, he says, she is mine. And then the, the <laughs> oh. Duke and the audience goes, she is mine. The, um... The listeners can't see the spirit fingers that Andy did with the, with the boob hand, with the boob hand right. right there. Yeah, in fairness, Ziedler's fingers are pretty firm and still right on her boob. <laughs> uh, and so then this is all going to lead to sort of Christian coming in, and he sort of um, uh, knocks out the Argentinian by pulling him down some stairs, uh, which seems seems unnecessary. I bet the Argentinian just would have been like, oh yeah, you can have my costume. I thought he fell asleep. Oh, maybe that was it. Maybe I definitely also thought that he knocked him out but yeah that is a good point he is narcoleptic and so christian gets into the uh the argentinian who's playing the sitar player uh into his his costume and then he op- he walks out onto the stage and ziedler has to immediately justify why he's there and tells the audience that it's the same character who is in disguise um and then but it's an opera so the audience is like yeah we're used to that yeah and then and then what else happens here so it's all very muddled for me. Bald bodyguard has been chasing them around because he's supposed to shoot Christian, but like the like they like fight for the gun and then like and then the bodyguard has to like pretend to be one of the dancers and so he like does these like little <laughs> dance moves dance in the moves. chorus. Or, I was trying like, to picks get up to a tambourine gun. at one point. I love yeah. I then, love the bodyguard. That business I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um he like reaches for the gun, but then uh, a, uh, it's not a stagehand because she's in costume. Someone in costume who's like up in the rafters drops a sandbag on him, uh-huh. and so the gun goes off at like the same moment as a stage explosion. So like, kind of looks like it's part of it, and then it flies into the air, and then it goes back to the duke, and then the duke grabs it, but then someone else intervenes in some other way, and so like uh, Howard punches him, Ziedler punches him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and so they get to finish the show and like have their little kiss on stage and be happy. And the Duke got punched. Yeah. And part of what I think is funny too, is that like, no one is alarmed by this man in the audience holding a gun. <laughs> and like, this is and like, ma- like part of you is like, Oh, maybe they think it was part of the play. But then this is also like 20 years before everyone's going to shit themselves listening to war of the worlds. Right. And so <laughs> like, I doubt that they have much of a line of demarcation for what's real and what's fake. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, they sort of end up together, and it's a pretty good ending, right? The credits roll. No, and oh. then the red curtain closes, and she dies backstage. Yeah, that's it. She dies. She backstage still and, dies. And then we sort of, of learn. I mean, what do we get out of the ending where we see Christian is like writing it? Is I guess it's just that he kind of has a smile on his face now when he thinks about the time. We she should have seen tell, him. Tell we should have seen him coughing. Yeah. Oh yeah, he should have had tuberculosis Ooh, yeah, for sure. Right? Blood-tinged pages. Um, which have tuberculosis on them. No, but Sean, yeah, you were saying. Oh, what did as I she say? Dies. As, she's, as she's dying, she says... Oh, like, oh. Tell, tell them my song, or tell them my story. Or, yeah, she's yeah. like, in that way, a part of me will, will live, live with you. Yeah, And I think what that's sort of based on, and I didn't see anything that said this directly, but I did read that right before this movie, you may have noticed this movie is dedicated oh, yeah. to yeah. Lawrence Lerman, uh, Boz's dad. And his dad died while he was in pre-production for this movie. Mm. And he wanted to be with him more. And his dad told him to focus on the movie. 
uh, and that it was going to be great. And so there's all these moments during filming where Boz wants to give up on the project and he remembers his dad telling him to focus on the movie. And so in my mind, that's what he puts into Satine's last moment is mm. when Satine says, no work, finish the story, tell them, tell them. And by the way, when she, when she says, tell them our story, I'm like, yeah, that's what this play was. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's the play you just did. That was the whole story. Like what's going to be different in this version? <laughs> anyway. Fair point. It's like a level of, of meta humor that is just, it's a turducken of a musical. Yeah. And then, so then not even over the credits do we get Lady Marmalade. Um, no. It's just, we're back to those like grainy film style red curtain shit. It is. I'll say this. It's, uh, the credits look like a scroll. Uh, and that's something that they commit to for the entire credits, which you don't see a lot. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the whole of the story, but Sean and Leanne, is there anything that we missed in talking about this movie before we go to our other segments that you want to hit on? No, I was just thinking that like, and that there was a really cool scene where John Leguizamo is convincing, uh, Christian character that she actually does love him and create some doubt in his mind. And I thought again, to give more flowers to John Leguizamo is really good, um, in, in the way that he portrayed that scene i thought he he did a great job there it's a remarkably down-to-earth performance for how silly this character is yeah Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and and in the the um pantheon of uh people who are not little playing little people this is one of the better little people non-little person performances right this Mm -hmm. is better than gary oldman and tiptoes well i know that's not a musical (laughs) but i'm hoping one day you guys do tiptoes because put it on the list baby <laughs> we'll make it a musical if we have to. Um, we'll get um, I think we covered a lot of it. Um, yeah, it's just all bonkers. The the whole India thing in the play at the end was just so bad. Um, but no, Leguizamo yeah. was definitely. I think I have to agree the the real highlight of this for me. And we didn't even mention though that his his character is. Henri Toulouse Lautrec, who is a famous painter, painter, yeah, and is fa- mm-hmm. like famous for like painting those paintings of the Moulin Rouge that you're thinking of. Because we all, I don't know if we mentioned this too, but this is the first movie based on a painting you buy at Target. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys know that? Um, all right. Well, so um, I'm going to go into a segment here. This is a new segment on the show, you guys. Leanne, Sean, you guys are here for a first time debut of a new Woo. segment uh, that I am calling R slash You Serious. And this is a, a segment where I check in with Reddit to see what Reddit had to say about this movie. I'm gonna, I'm always gonna try and find one batshit theory or a good point or something we didn't think about that's on Reddit uh, for another view. So this is from r slash movies, the movies subreddit, and this, and this is posted by someone with the screen name Greasy Pube. Um, <laughs> and this is their theory: singular pube. Uh, yep, Greasy with one a Z. Greasy pube. pube. Okay. Um. Okay. After about the fourth time watching Moulin Rouge, I began to notice something about the character Chocolat. Almost every time Satine needed saving, Chocolat saved her and took care of her. I believe in my theory that during the entirety of the events in Moulin, Rouge story, Moulin Rouge's story until Satine's death, Chocolat was Satine's true love, not Christian. First, during Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, he saves her from falling off the swing and takes her off stage to the doctor. 
Secondly, during Roxanne, when she sees Christian walking away from the Moulin Rouge, she starts to sing Come What May. While the Duke is with her on the balcony, he overhears her singing and is enraged. Chocolat appears out of the darkness and punches the Duke, knocking him out cold. Examining more closely, so Chocolat was in the room the whole time, watching but not saying a word. That only means he followed Satine there, because originally Ziedler told the Duke they would be totally alone. Chocolat had the look of fear in his eyes, like he truly cares for Satine. This scene is what inspired my theory. So what do you guys think about Greasy Pubes theory? 100% no. Uh, (laughs) Black people are magical far more than their love interest or hidden love interest. This is 100% magical black person in a in a movie for the purpose of us being magical that's literally all it that could is, be it, it feels more bagger vance than anything else well, you, yes, <laughs> yes, yes 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 well this has been r slash you sadly i i agree i think it's more of a black person as protector bodyguard mm-hmm. big, big black man save tiny white girl yeah. Uh, Does it have any other characterization mm-hmm. other than like how he exists? As... Didn't he did have he did have one line though, right? I don't remember what it was, um, but I feel he, like he did. his line is "I understand." Uh, Christian Beautiful. says, "Take take her to this person," and and Chocolat says, "I understand." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you can't. You got to say this for him. He understands some stuff. He gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You cannot. He argue gets, that he gets it. <laughs> Chocolat gets us. This guy gets it. <laughs> Um, coming to two, I forgot to mention this, but, um, they wanted to use father and son to open the movie by Cat Stevens and Cat Stevens would not grant it because of his, uh, religious beliefs, uh, and the movie being about, uh, sex workers. He would not grant his use, but they wanted to open with father and son with, um, Christian, uh, leaving his father behind in his father's office, uh, and all of his father's employees joined in for the, for the chorus. And that was the segue into his leaving home for Paris. And Leanne, you have a big scowl on your face. (laughs) Thank you, Cat Stevens, because that would have been really unnecessary and added a few minutes we didn't need. So I have to think that like that that would have come apart in the editing. Like they would have realized, oh, this movie is not about a father and son, so there's no reason for us to open the movie with father and son. Yeah, yeah. Unless not Uh, having that song made them cut all of the father and son stuff that it was actually about. Yeah, except for just two shots of the father going, just being, like... Just being mad. Yeah, yeah he's just like, <laughs> You are your poetry! <laughs> um, waste. Alright, this is a new segment that we're doing. Another new segment, never done, oh. never done before in the segment. We're calling this uh, the Bop of the Week, and this is what we're doing. We're starting a, a Spotify playlist uh, that's, that we will... Uh, we'll post it. We'll post the link to this on our Instagram. Make sure you follow Steph and I on Instagram. Uh, we'll, we'll give our handles out later. Hey, it's Andy. We both forgot to do that uh so you can follow me i'm andy zaster a-n-d-y-z-a-s-t-e-r and steph is Storpsmop, spelled the normal way s-t-o-r-p-s-m-o-p we're gonna start a playlist where uh each person is allowed to pick one song if you could have tell the listeners who didn't watch this movie to listen to one song from the movie what would it be we'll build that playlist and it'll just keep going it'll and keep importantly going overlap is okay we're not putting unnecessary shit on this playlist so like we can be discerning we don't need to put four different songs if we all agree on on one song that's then that's the one song but uh steph do you have one that you that you want to start with for your bop of the week my bop of the week Hmm. 
If only someone had told you beforehand that... I mean, I think I gotta go Lady Marmalade. Oh, okay. So you're doing Lady Marmalade. Which version? I'll, I'll go with the one from the soundtrack. Okay. I, I mean, then I'll go ahead and jump in because that was going to be mine too. It's like... I, 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 was, I thought for a long time about if there's something from this movie that I would want. And, and like the pitch comes closest. Spectacular, spectacular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think mine would also be the, the single Lady Marmalade. Yeah. Uh, Leah? It's tough. Because although your song, clearly, as I've expressed, is like, I think, very definitive, I think I just got to stick with you guys and go Lady Marmalade. Like, that's the song. That's the song. Interesting. I thought you picked the love medley. No, no. Sean? Um, actually, if Liam was going to go with your song, I was going to back her up. But uh, <laughs> I, I will not, I will not um, hold back the votes here. I'm, I'm down with. There's well, no votes, you know. No, you, no, no, you can, no, no. You yeah, can go off on your own. Well, I, mean, I don't. I actually have never heard the full produced version of your song, like outside of the context of a movie. So I don't know. Fair oh, it's I good. know. I know Elton John's version, <laughs> and I like Elton John's version a lot. So I know it's a, a really great song. Um, I'm putting both of these on our playlist. Okay, let's do like I was going to say, I will, I will go back yeah. on my word and put it on there. So <laughs> I'm back in Leanne. Here. I'm back in okay. Leanne. Alright, <laughs> let's do it. That's going to be on our Spotify playlist. We'll post that link. Look out for that. Alright, last feature, and I haven't decided yet. We're, I think I'm going to try and figure out a way to link this into Letterboxd. So if you're on Letterboxd, I'll, I'll post a link to that too, and, and we'll start posting our sort of cumulative reviews for how this section goes. Last, we did it for the first time last week. Um where we had people rate Mean Girls as a movie, a musical, and a remake, right? And so uh, for this week, for Moulin Rouge, I think what we should do is rate it out of five stars, three different ratings for uh, as a movie, as a musical, and as a series of music videos. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll start because I think I got some ideas. Um, I really think as a movie... Uh, well, okay, so I'll say now... That at the beginning, I said that my opinion of this movie always was that it was good for an hour and then boring for an hour, but that that has changed. Yeah, it has changed to where I now think it is insufferable for an hour and then boring for an hour. Um, And at least the insufferable part is interesting. (laughs) Um, But I really, I really am am bored in the last half of this movie still to this day. I I was, little me was correct about that. Um, And, uh, and so... I think as a movie, I go like two stars out of five for me. Um, as a musical, it sort of manages to do almost less. But I mean, and also we have not we have not yet, Steph, gotten to a jukebox musical that I like. Now we've we've only watched this and across the universe, but this is very fucking across the universe. This is like that's if, true. If, like this, the whole first hour of this movie is like an extended Eddie Izzard across the universe scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> we had a little, not fight, but like a, a fun, a fun exchange about that after we watched it yesterday because Andy was accusing me of some hypocrisy for my reaction to this movie versus my reaction to across the universe. And I think for me, the difference, it, like, I think it's absolutely a fair comparison, but the difference is that Julie Taymor is yelling at you in film language and musical language about, like, her ideas, whereas in this movie, Baz Luhrmann is just yelling the words at you. Like, he's just saying, <laughs> yeah. love is the only thing, over and over and over again. That's the greatest thing. 
and like he, he does physically yell freedom beauty truth yeah. and love at you so many times well well so all that to say that i'm i'm, I'm still i'm gonna give it two and a half stars as a musical because i think it doesn't fail at everything and there's there are some bops in there and like the way that the music is used is good i just don't i i wish that there were more up-tempo numbers in the second half of this thing because mm-hmm. it sort of drags in the second half um so i'm giving it two as a movie two and a half as a musical and as a series of music videos i'll go three uh again it's like the roxanne thing is like it bores me as a piece of a movie but as a dance music video mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. yeah sure um so yeah two two and a half and three are my are my uh stuff you you think you're ready i, I can be ready yeah. yeah um so i would say it's gonna mirror that a lot i think i'm gonna go two and a half stars as a movie um because it doesn't say anything other than what it yells at you <laughs> and it doesn't like I'm not I'm not like going for a ride with these characters they're very caricature and and like not playing with that enough for me to appreciate it so it's just it's gonna get a C for me mm-hmm. um, as a musical I will go up to three and a half stars because I do appreciate the ways that it is trying to, like, convey emotions through music and dance and other visual film language. Um, and I think it is more concerned about that part of it. Um, but again, it doesn't, like, achieve anything. So those are mostly, like, stars for the the spectacle of it. Yeah, the dazzle. What do, what do they say if you can't, uh, um, if you can't wow them with information dazzle them with bullshit or something <laughs> the thing my english teacher used to say listen that that, that really feels like boz took that to heart here <laughs> um and then yeah as a music video a string of music videos i guess I'm, i'll stick with that 3.5 like i i think a lot of what it a lot of its success is like if you kind of zoom in at like just those three minute chunks um, and I I don't know, like, if those chunks would be as successful if you, like, lifted them out. Um, but I do think that they're more successful than the rest of it. All right. Sean, so that's where what I'm about at. you? Um, I would say, uh, was it, it's movie musical set of music videos. Music yes. videos, yeah. Um, as a movie, I give it a, I'll say it's a three. Um, All right. I, I felt entertained while watching it there there were definite times where i had to check out imagine me watching this in uh 1.5 speed it was insane <laughs> but to, to get it done i was trying to speed it up and then sometimes i had to slow it down because it was already sped up um <laughs> but um throughout it i was like oh yeah i can i can remember why i thought it was good uh a good movie and connected and um the songs that are strong performances are strong performances. The ones that miss, miss. But um, I feel like that's those are pretty good numbers for a musical. It's hard to... It's hard... Movie musicals are very hard to pull off anyway. Um, They're rarely when, all bangers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to... to, to like, a, like an album space out the songs in a way that makes it uh, um, not boring at some point. So... Yeah, three for that. Uh, as a musical, I'd, I'd say it's also a, a three, maybe 3.5 um, for those same reasons. And as a set of music videos, I think just because in the context of when this was shot, it, these are all kind of music videos and they are all 
the top of the line music videos for the time that they mm. were created in in production and style and clothing and you know all all of those things considered i'd say for the time period i would give it a four all right four for music videos i love that leanne take Um, us home i will say adding the music video category has sort of shifted my thoughts a little um okay as a movie realistically probably a three um which i would have I thought I would have scored it higher, but when I was trying to explain the plot of this movie to my 14-year-old son yesterday, who has not seen it, when I told him I was going to do this, I realized, oh, good God, what is the plot of this movie? <laughs> um, and, you know, at, really, as a movie standing alone, I mean, some of the performances, like, I think, you know, Ziggler, you know, so, like, Jim Broadbent, Leguizamo, some of you and McGregor, like, you really do have some, like, really going for performances, But overall, like, plot-wise, you don't really have a lot. So maybe three. Sure. As an actual musical, to me, what makes a musical good is re-listening to the soundtrack. And and so I didn't re-watch the movie to get ready for this podcast. I just re-listened to the soundtrack because I'd seen the movie Mm. so many times. And I was listening to the soundtrack, and the soundtrack is kind of terrible. Like, (laughs) you have Lady Marmalade. You have your song. You have the Elephant Love Medley. Roxanne, by itself, out of context of this movie, you cannot listen to it. You can't oh, yeah, do it. It doesn't have, there's, it's, there's like dialogue and like it's other mashup. awful. And like the can-can is weird. Like it's really an, you can't, you, unlistenable. Can't listen to it as a soundtrack. So as a musical, it's really like a 1.5. Hell Yeah. In terms of qual- in terms of quality as a musical, standalone music videos, I'm gonna say five. Like visually, like wow. that's what appealed to me most about the movie. So, yeah, this I'm gonna is say what you want from that. Yeah, yeah, this is what I want. I want them to just be music videos. I just want to see what's going on. Everybody looks crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, the costumes are nuts. It's just this other world. Love it for that musicalness. Not at all. I was just doing some research about like the difference between like a jukebox musical versus a musical review versus like a song cycle. And those are like really specific divisions between those three. But like that's sort of what I was thinking about because like mm-hmm. it is this sort of jukeboxy type. Um, and I, I, I kind of feel like what you're saying is like I you would have preferred if it had like leaned more into that like musical review song cycle where it's just like, no, really, give me the series of music videos and they can have like the same people, but like I don't need to see all the shit in between. Even separate from that, like I don't think you can put on most of the songs from this soundtrack and listen to them. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. I just don't think you can. I don't think you would want to. Like, you can't. See, and I, I think the love medley we like because we have the context for it. But, like, if I tried to play the love medley as a song, like, for my mom, she would mm. just be like, how do I snap to this? You know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no rhythm. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Well, uh, if I'm doing my math right, that brings us to a, a weighted average of three stars overall, um, which is slightly above average for a movie. It's, uh, higher than I thought it was going to be based on all those numbers we were giving out um, but look this is a best picture nominee 
above the cut on Wikipedia, it's described as one of the greatest films of all time. You know, it's I, I think I think it, it's now time for people to revisit. Everything old is new again, right? And that includes the 2000s. We just talked about a Mean Girls remake last year, so there's a reason we're talking about another 2001 movie right now. And that's because it's time now to start revisiting the 2000s. As much as that makes our blood run cold, it is now time... <laughs> You, you know, t- t- 10 years ago, people were doing the stuff from the 90s. Now people are revisiting the 2000s. This is going to get revisited. It's going to get d- dug up soon. And I just can't wait to see what the eyes of hindsight think about this movie as it comes back to the culture. All right. Look, all that being said, uh, if you want to support our, our podcast and, and all the podcasts we do here, here on the Dumb Fun Network, you can check us out at patreon.com slash dumb fun. Uh, and that helps us... Uh, you know, just have the time to do all the things that we do. And then we also do 30 characters on the network, as well as uh, the Fanny Falls Demon Hunter, which is all all there and ready to listen to. Let's throw it to Sean. Sean, what do you got coming up you'd like to plug? Um, I'm about to film a pilot for a show called Afro Latchins, which are um, about eight headliners. Uh, Will McKenzie, Joe Deuce, Larry Starks, um, Keith McGill... Um, myself, Goo McIntyre, Eric Kimbrough, uh, I'm missing one, Holly Lene. Um, and we're, group. yeah, we're, we're filming a, a, um, a stand-up slash sketch show, um, wow. that starts and on the 12th, we're going to be at Comedy Off-Broadway to film for that. So if you're in and around Kentucky, um, I think that's a Tuesday, um, but Come out to Lexington, check that out. Um, I'm also just follow me on Sean Smith, S E A N S M Y's and Yellow P's and Person H's and Help um, on Instagram, and I'll try to update when I have shows coming up. But I'm I'm out there in and around. We're we're doing stuff. And so the listener is not confused. Your name is Sean Smith. Your yes. handle on most things is Sean Smith. Right. Okay. Because my name is one of the most common names in the world, and I have to do oh, something what? to. To separate, I had shout out to my Smiths. Oh my god, yes. I never even asked you guys if you're related. We all are. I've told you. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> you, just, uh, you don't get to and, know about it yet. And of course, Leanne and I, as Italians, are related. Of course, uh, Leanne. What are you? We have the same mustache, Andy. <laughs> Leanne, come on. <laughs> um leanne what do you want to plug coming up i uh have the coil project variety hour it is a every other week live radio show uh because people somehow still do radio shows Mm -hmm. um and it is on tacoma radio so it's tacoma radio.org t-a-k-o-m-a radio.org i heard one of those was really good yes Yes, Andy and Steph were on an episode with us. We actually featured your segment on, we did like a retrospective on New Year's uh, and we oh. played back your segment. Um, oh, okay. Well, so- hopefully I'll get my double royalties for that. <laughs> um, but we do that every other Sunday. Um, and if you're in D.C., uh, the first two weekends in March, uh, the Coil Project is doing uh, some live shows. We're going to have some stage readings the one weekend, and then we're doing a live recording of our radio show. So we're going to have a studio audience, Aww. like the old radio shows back in the 40s, and record some episodes nice. uh, to play on. So that'll be fun. Um, and other than that, uh, I'm on Instagram at Space Cop Lee. Um, uh, you'll see photos of my baby, and then a lot of comments on people's dresses at award shows and yeah, random other your, pop your culture things. Commentary. Truly, yeah, every I have... time there is an award show now, I like 
do my little finger rubbing. I, yeah, I sit on my couch in my sweatshirt. I comment on why everyone's fashion is good or bad. Um, and then my mom calls me to tell me that she doesn't know who any of these people are. And can I please put their names <laughs> under all the photos? Um, um, but- wait, you know what we didn't have a chance to talk about was I was so excited as we were watching this. I was so excited. There were no poofs in this movie. No poofs. They didn't, we-, we didn't do. Leanne hates a poof. I hate a poof. Okay. Not. Okay. Wait, sorry. Okay. A, a, no, a, apologies a to our Brit- to our British listeners. That's not what we mean. <laughs> there were many queer people in this movie. <laughs> yes. There were That's no, not what we were talking about. There were no dress sleeves that had unnecessary volume. Uh, yeah. Did this come I up hate... in uh this came up in La La Land? It no, it just is it comes up a lot on Leanne's Instagram because it's there a big a trend, oh, trend okay. now. People want to play with volume and I secretly personally love them. Um, but I, <laughs> I would never share. Stop. I know, I'm so sorry. There's a trend now of like the 80s like prom dresses coming back with these like mismatched like poofy ugly things mm-hmm. and they're the but bait the- of my existence. Um, yeah. I Is it like what's in Steph's picture like this lady with her arms really That's like sort a frill of, like, like kind this of thing. One, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like but if but it was bigger, like they're sort of like detached bigger. too sometimes like they sort of will it'll just be like a sleeve They'll have like, like a sleeve I... accessory. That's a yeah. Blue. Imagine like super classy, like pretty dress, and then that giant orange poof sleeve for no reason, just like huh. detached from the rest of the thing. It's terrible. Yeah, it um, sounds good. It sounds I, have... I apologize, Leanne. There's a reference for the other two, but it sounds like something Seth Rollins would wear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Um, um, I'll send you some pics, Leanne. You'll love it. So, oh yeah, yes. I would love for you to critique wrestlers. <laughs> actually, night. that would actually be really fun. If um, you just critique yes. every time Seth comes out, I think that Ooh, would... I'm gonna send you a bunch of Seth Rollins outfits, and you gotta review them on your Instagram stories. Done, done. Uh, my okay. big, my big claim, right, claim to fame right now is that I was interviewed for an article in the Daily Beast about my opinion oh, yes. on oh, wow. Harvey from the Traitors. Uh, oh, that's and of course Steph and I know her as Parvati from Survivor. Well, yes, she's an icon. Yes. Uh, and I, I know she's been doing this. Head, she's been doing this like headband thing. Yes, so I traitors. bought headbands and <laughs> po- and I bought three matching headbands and posted about them on Instagram <laughs> and tagged Parvati in them, and she shared my story. And then literally some random Whoa. writer from the Daily Beast was like, Incredible. can I interview you for a story? And I was like, this is my dream come true, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's so <laughs> funny because, yeah, Steph and I are big Parv fans. So uh, oh, she's a queen. In fact, ju- just last night, Steph was showing me around her uh, Stardew, Island, Stardew Valley Island, which I had never been on before. And he, <laughs> oh I could tell God. that we that she had like started that island when we were watching like Survivor Heroes vs. Villains because it was like, oh, here's Parvati. Here's Boston Rob, the ostrich. <laughs> You know, here's uh, it's like all these animals named after Survivor legends. Oh, here's Sandra the goat. Um, I do. I have a goat named Sandra and a pig named Tyson. St- oh, Steph. Steph, what would you like to plug? Oh, I do have a plug this week. I would like to plug um, the existence of K.O., who uh, used to perform under the name Karen Olivo, but has since come out as non-binary and is going by K.O. now. Um, they were uh, one of the original performers in In the Heights. They played mm-hmm. Vanessa, mm-hmm. Um, and they also originated Satine in the stage version of Moulin Rouge that happened um, in, like, 2018, 2019. Um, and they're just a really cool person and, uh, like, devoting their life to helping other people be good performers. 
Um, and notably declined to come back to Moulin Rouge after the pandemic happened um, because they were just sort of being vocal about the ways that like commercial theater wasn't supporting their performers or like the people who work there um, and like did something about it. Just a, a nice. cool person. Plug for KO. Plug for KO. Uh, nice. All right. Well, uh, with that, we take a we take a big tracking shot away from the microphone, all the way back, <laughs> all the way, all the way back to your car or house or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, Leanne and Sean, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about this movie yeah, with us. What a delight! Uh, you. Even though this as uh, as many of our episodes are, I feel an episode where one person loves a movie and three people hurt their feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, this is the, hey, this is the podcast for people who love musicals and hate musicals. We are Musical the Movie, the podcast, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks, uh, Hi. talking about a musy, a muse, a musy. We should a call musies. them musies. Oh, we yeah. should call them Yeah, yeah we're going to yeah. watch a musy. We watch call, newsies. We'll talk, you remember we'll newsies, the musy? <laughs> All right, we'll <laughs> be back with another musy in, in, a, in two weeks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast with Andy and Steph. Boom, dome.